This message comes from NPR sponsor Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in Little Wing, the new original movie starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Rated PG-13, stream it now exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Try it free at ParamountPlus.com. In the new film Haunted Mansion, a ragtag group of paranormal experts attempt to get rid of the ghosts that haunt a crumbling New Orleans mansion. It's not the first time Disney has attempted to build a compelling on-screen story out of one of its beloved theme park experiences. But will it launch a wildly popular franchise like Pirates of the Caribbean or disappear from the cultural consciousness like Jungle Cruise? I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Glenn Weldon. And today we're talking about Haunted Mansion on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining us today is writer and film critic Laura Siricool. Welcome, Laura. Hi. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you. Let's do this. In Disney's Haunted Mansion, a mother and young son, played by Rosario Dawson and Chase W. Dillon, buy a crumbling house with a dark history and promptly get chased out of it by its resident ghosts. But the ghosts follow them wherever they go, so they reluctantly return to the house and begin to learn its secrets. To help them figure out what's going on and why the house's ghosts are stuck there, they enlist the aid of a grieving astrophysicist, played by Lakeith Stanfield, a chill priest, played by Owen Wilson. There's also a Tiffany Haddish, who plays a savvy medium, and Dan Danny DeVito as a college professor who has studied the science behind the supernatural. Hijinks dutifully ensue, jump scares are dutifully jumped, secrets come to light, and the true nefarious presence behind everything is eventually revealed. Haunted Mansion was written by Katie Dippold, who wrote the 2013 Paul Feig comedy The Heat, which is a big PCHH favorite, and the 2016 Ghostbusters reboot. It was directed by Justin Simeon, who wrote and directed Dear White People and Bad Hair, and it's in theaters now. So, Laura, let me know. What'd you think? Haunted Mansion is a love letter to not just Haunted Mansion in California, but it's also Florida and for the Disney Files. This is really mm-hmm. a lot of fan service. And for the Disney Files out there, they will love this. But mm-hmm. as for story-wise, there was a lot of issues because it was just so caught up in trying to do fan service and its all-star cast that you kind of lose sight of the story because there's just so many actors who are amazing in it, but there's just so many of them. Mm-hmm. You lose focus. And so I think it's a fun movie for Disney Files, but I think it needed, it needed some help regarding the story and where the characters lie. Yeah, I mean, you're right. The Disney adults especially, they're going to be happy with all the Haunted Mansion Easter eggs they get. They get the hitchhiking ghost. They get the flowing to Catalabra. They get the stretching room. You're right there. Yeah. Steven, you have kids. Now, they're older now, but you have at least yeah. one kid who likes scary stuff. Um, what did you think? Yeah, this film kind of, in terms of its where it falls on the scare spectrum, it's definitely scarier than Goosebumps uh-huh. and definitely not as scary as even most PG-13 horror films. Right. So it's kind of falling into a little bit of an uncanny valley scare-wise, where I do think it is too scary for little kids, Mm -hmm. but I'm not necessarily sure that horror fans, I mean, and maybe I'm wrong, I kept coming back to with this film over and over again, who is this for? It is clearly for Disney adults. It is clearly for people who have a fixation and a fascination with Disney's Haunted Mansion, The Ride, parentheses S. (laughs) But I'm not sure what the market is for a $150 million special effects blockbuster 
kind of tied to sort of Halloween-y themes that comes out in July. I just sat there thinking, man, at a time right now when everybody's seeing Barbie and everybody's seeing Oppenheimer, like, is anybody going to do the barbonted Moppenheimer triple feature? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm just – don't don't email me. I know there are people who are excited about this film because of its Disney lineage, but I'm just not sure this film Laura mentioned fan service and there are definitely lots of like references to characters from these rides. But there's also this film is leaden with constant references to grief. Mm-hmm. In ways that I think could have really, you know, like deepened and enriched the story, but kind of didn't just kind of kept dragging it down. I just kind of kept waiting for it to take flight. It's written by Katie Dippold, who wrote The Heat, which is so funny. Like Katie Dippold is a really, really funny writer, but I didn't feel like the jokes really took off. The cast has this real Oscar Mm -hmm. pedigree. Jared Leto has won an Oscar. Jamie Lee Curtis has won an Oscar. Lakeith Stanfield's been nominated. Like there's a lot of big pedigree here, but none of it really cohered into anything that really grabbed me very much. Yeah, they skirted on grief. It was like, oh man, we're going to get deep. And then all of a sudden they do a joke. And it takes it away, that moment that could have been something more. And it kept happening throughout the, the movie. And that that did bother me a little bit because it's like, oh, Keith is amazing. So he's going to get do this character so well regarding his grief. And then all of a sudden, Owen Wilson, who I do adore, he does a bad joke. And so I'm kind of like, okay, this is just going to be on the surface level. Yeah. The word grief is in this script more often than the word patriarchy is in Barbie. But (laughs) in Barbie, they do something with it. It's about that. Here, it is just – it feels like it's just being name-checked. It's just like referred to. It's invoked, but it's not dealt with. I don't have, at the end of the day, a lot to say about this movie because I am so not the target market for it. I'm a critic. I have seen dozens and dozens of films like this. But the thing we always have to remember, and you both mentioned it, is that the kids out there who this is for haven't seen movies like this before. market is the kids. It's their parents who just are looking for two hours of air conditioning to sit their kids in, you know, and shut them up. Uh, It is for those Disney adults. I think, Stephen, though, it does have some legit jump scares. So just for the parents out there, if your kid is sensitive, maybe skip it. Maybe also skip it if your kid is the kind of kid who might step out of a movie and say, well, that was a criminal waste of Lakeith Stanfield's idiosyncratic on-screen charisma. Or (laughs) if they're kind of a smart-ass kid and say, well, Tiffany Haddish, you know, she got her SAG health insurance. That's good. Or if your kid is the kind of kid who might step out of a movie and say, well, that was a well-plotted piece of non-claptrap that never made me want to retch. I didn't enjoy this film. Um, And what I wanted most, because it's exactly what you guys are saying, these are actors in a pretty by-the-numbers script that they must have trusted would generate chemistry. But Mm -hmm. to your point, Laura, they're all in different movies. They're all doing wildly different things. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to keep getting these movies based on theme park experiences, you know, by the time we get Dole Whips and Churros the movie, at least (laughs) we'll be like, all right, some honesty. Can we talk about the stakes in this movie? Like, and again, only critics care about stakes. That's not true. Everybody cares about what happens to these characters, right? I didn't have a good sense of how much danger anybody was ever in because the big bad of this script, their goal is not to torment or kill these people for eternity. Their goal is to bail, right? Their goal is to get out of the haunted house 
and do what? Be a supervillain? Like, <laughs> how much danger are these people in? And the kid, like the kid in this movie, he mentions midway through that he's being bullied at school. And uh, to be clear, bullying is terrible. But what's the worst thing in this kid's life? The fact that he is being tormented every night by horrors from beyond the grave or recess? You know what I mean? Like every time the real world was invoked, I was just like, where are we going here? Did you did you have any concerns about, we're going to use the word, world building of this movie? It, it was really weird in the beginning because I thought when I saw the kid, he was dressed up in the 1950s kind of gear. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh my God, they're going to have this great history of them being trapped and everything. And then it is of current times. I think it, it fell under the weight of its all-star cast. It fell under the weight of the ride and the fan service, like the Easter eggs and everything. I felt like it was just, there was just so much that it packed into this that I think they, it lost its way of what Justin and what the writer wanted it to be. Because like you said, I don't know who this was for. I was watching it with Disney Files. Mm -hmm just watching them smile and point things out. Like, yeah. I was like, wow. Like, my friend had to explain to me, like, oh, that mansion is from Florida. That's the Florida Haunted Mansion. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> and he was just like, oh, look, it's that. It really was meant for Disney adults, all the Disney lovers out there and their kids. As a critic, though, there's no stakes and there's no real meat behind the story. It was all, mm -hmm. ooh, pretty. Ooh, I recognize that. I know that. It was just a point and, and pretty look. Well, and Glenn and I are, you know, are, are comedy nerds and have definitely talked about the difference between jokes and references. Yeah. I feel like part of what you're getting at, Laura, is like there's a lot of references. There are a lot of visual references. But I sat there thinking about the energy level of this film sure. compared to the energy level of uh, a little movie we've talked about before on this show called Hocus Pocus. Sure. And Hocus Pocus is also a kind of Halloween adjacent film that inexplicably wasn't released during the Halloween season, but nevertheless went on to become like a big uh, streaming staple and a, and a big like movie that people kind of kept coming back to and really attaching to. And comparing these two, and I don't mean to say like Hocus Pocus is great because I don't think Hocus Pocus is great, but Hocus Pocus has a lot of verve. Yeah. And like Style. just like a certain mm -hmm. amount of enthusiasm, right? Sure. And to me, like this has, okay, like it says on the poster, Jared Leto as the Hatbox Ghost. Mm -hmm. Now that raises for me two things. One, I'm imagining having to be around Jared Leto as he's method acting through the world <laughs> as the Hatbox Ghost. And I'm also thinking as I'm watching this film about the difference between this very CGI menace mm -hmm. that like has Jared Leto's name attached to it right. and something like The Witches in Hocus Pocus, a movie that cost a buck and a half, but is having a blast doing it. I don't feel like very many people in this film are having a blast. You have Tiffany Haddish, but she's dialed way down. Mm -hmm. You have Owen Wilson, but he's dialed way down. Danny DeVito gets to do a little bit of the Danny DeVito thing, but he's mostly dialed down. And you mentioned, Glenn, that energy that like really charismatic, strange energy that Lee Keith Stanfield brings to so many roles. But here he's so muted. Mm -hmm. When does anyone in this movie get to have fun? 
Well, that's why the whole thing kind of felt jumbled to me. I suspect there are entire plot threads that have been cut at the last minute. There are certain transitions that didn't make any sense. And yes, to your point, Stephen, the actors are at, well, they're they're all doing different things, but they're all at the same kind of muted level. And then we'll get a slapstick bit that feels really sweaty and shrill, right? That it just desperately tries to take the energy up and doesn't quite do it. You mentioned Jamie Lee Curtis is, is in this thing. You mentioned Jared Leto. You didn't mention... Dan Levy, and thank God for that, because Dan Levy is in this thing for less than 30 seconds of screen time. 10 seconds. It's crazy. You don't get to mention that Dan Levy is in your movie if you're not going to give him anything to do. Bug the hell out of me. Winona Ryder, too. Winona Ryder. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Just, like, just... just in there for a brief moment, like, saying, like, no, that's not it, and that's it. Uh, but the thing is, it, it was just, there's just too many stars, though. Like, Danny DeVito... Yeah. I love you, but what's the point of you? Yeah. I honestly feel like this this is like a project where they were like, let's see how many Disney stars we can get. It, because they were trying to get so many stars, of course they're going to be muted. Of course, the tone was completely off throughout the film. It kept going up and down in their tone. And I feel like because you had Lakeith, you have Owen Wilson and Tiffany Haddish, two comedians, they're both so strong in their comedy, their slapstick humor, that you kind of get tired. Like, I'm just like, mm-hmm. okay, Owen Wilson can Owen Wilson so much. <laughs> and Danny DeVito was it was completely useless. Tiffany Haddish, I think she did a pretty great job for what she was given. Sure. But I think the story just, the tone is so off that you just don't know what, what they're trying to have you feel and where they're going. But, Laurie, you, you nailed exactly why the Dan Levies and the Winona Riders are in this film. It's just so that those Disney folks can point at them and go, oh, look. They're just references. Yeah. <laughs> They're like the floating candelabra. They have as much screen time as the floating <laughs> candelabra, and that's why they're there. The, the kind of comedy that's in this movie is the kind of comedy we are seeing more and more, the kind of comedy that most often comes when you hire a bunch of comedians to go in and punch up a script with jokes. They are the kind of self-referential, let's comment on how absurd this thing that this movie's about is while we're in the scene where the absurd thing is happening. And this is the only kind of humor that's in this movie, apart from the slapstick. But it, it becomes about that. And I think at some point we just got to say, like, that's not that's not enough. <laughs> we, we need shades. It's not enough to hang a big, big, big budget movie on. I predict, and who knows? Like, a lot of people are going back to the movies. Maybe they couldn't get into Barbie and couldn't get into <laughs> Oppenheimer, and now they're seeing this. I have a feeling we're going to be talking more in the weeks and months to come about just what is going on at Disney? Yeah. What is going into the decision-making in terms of when these movies are coming out and who they think they're for? Um, we want to know what you think about Haunted Mansion. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what is making us happy this week? This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Caitlin, a teen reeling from her parents' divorce, steals a valuable bird in order to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner that leads her to a new outlook on life. 
Don't miss Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Rated PG 13. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerdette Podcast from WBEZ, part of the NPR Network, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, now it's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? Laura, what is making you happy this week? Um, I think me and like everyone else everywhere, the movie that's like sweeping everyone is Barbie. Mm-hmm. And I have made that my entire personality for the next few weeks. <laughs> Pink everything. Um, mm-hmm. No, it's one of those movies that I honestly was not excited for. I was just like, okay, whatever. I'll go watch Barbie. It's it's Margot Robbie, Greta Gerwig, and I... I'm a huge fan of theirs, so I'm like, I'm going to go watch it, but I'm not invested. Like, I know it's going to be something, it was going to be something serious, but I wasn't sure at what point it'll be serious, like deep, but it was deep. When I sat sat there, I just (laughs) felt every emotion and happy, sad, like anger, and just like, I didn't expect it. It was the most unexpected film for me this year. Everyone keeps telling me, oh, this is such a feminist movie, but I'm like, no, it's just reality. It's just telling it like it is. I really appreciated the story that that Greta told, and it just really impacted me as a woman, as a mom, as a as a writer, mm-hmm. and made me think I'm more than what I was made for. Oh, that's awesome! Um, so that's Barbie in theaters now. Heard of it? <laughs> but yes, great pick. Uh, what is making me happy this week? Uh, Praise Petey is an animated comedy series that just started streaming on Freeform. Not free V. Don't get it twisted. Free form. (laughs) It's uh, about a young uh, New York woman uh, whose father abandoned her as a kid to go lead a bloodthirsty religious cult in a remote southern town. And upon his death, she leaves New York to go lead the cult herself. But she's determined to do so with a very, you know, millennial city folk girl boss energy and a lot less ritual murder. So it (laughs) has a lot of very, very good jokes, including one about how Alan Tudyk is good in everything. He's like the boy Judy Greer. <laughs> a, stop reading my diary. And B, Seriously. where is the lie? And a very high joke density, which is hugely important to me. And a spectacular voice cast. Annie Murphy, John Cho, Alfred Molina, Christine Baranski, Stephen Root. Mm-hmm. I mean, what? <laughs> This show was made for me. Again, stop reading Glenn's diary. (laughs) I know, right? So anyway, that is Praise Petey on Freeform. Uh, Stephen, this is not one of those weeks I'm going to ask you what's making you happy. Stephen Thompson, what's on your mind? Yeah, I wish it were something that was making me happy, but I didn't want this episode to go by without praising the legacy of Sinead O'Connor, the wonderful singer who died this week. She was 56. As of this taping, the cause of death was not made public. In the coming days, a lot of people will be talking about Sinead O'Connor and her very complicated legacy. She dealt with a lot of trauma and controversy in her life, a lot of tragedy. I wanted to talk a little bit, though, about the music, because Mm -hmm. a lot of the coverage in the immediate aftermath of her death has focused on the song Nothing Compares to You, a Prince song that Sinead O'Connor covered and turned into a massive, massive hit in 1990. She had amazing music before Nothing Compares to You. She had amazing music after Nothing Compares to You. And I wanted to talk about two songs in particular. Glenn, I know you are a fan of her first album, The Lion and the Cobra, from 1987. And the single Mandinka. Let's hear a little bit of it. But I do know 
Glenn, you and I are in our early 50s. <laughs> yes, we are. Um, in 1987, I was, uh, uh, I was 15 when this song came out. And you can only imagine how much this song absolutely blew my mind. Oh my God, it was uh, life-changing. It, that entire album, no skips, but this song in particular is amazing. Yeah, and just the mix of like vocal talent and ferocity didn't sound like anything else. That's exactly the word I was going to use, idiosyncratic. <laughs> like exactly her and no one else. And so that album is great. That whole album, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got from 1990, is fantastic. And from there, the catalog is, is harder to predict. You know, she mm-hmm. followed that enormous success with an album of Torch songs mm-hmm. that were not what people were necessarily looking for. Um, she had that controversy with Saturday Night Live where she tore up the photo of the Pope and and, you know, became kind of this magnet for scorn and it was it was really frustrating to watch her career kind of keep getting derailed but i also wanted to point out a song from 2014 from an album called i'm not bossy i'm the boss a song called take me to church It was very sad to revisit this song in the aftermath of her death because one of the things that I love so much about this song is this is a song about fighting. This is a song Mm -hmm. about trying to make the most of your experiences. And the power of Sinead O'Connor, who had such a complicated relationship with religion, to sing a chorus like Take Me to Church, to hear her embracing growth, Mm -hmm. I think speaks to a lot of what her lifelong search was all about. She was hopping from ice flow to ice flow in a very real way. And this song is about the larger scope of that pursuit. And obviously hearing it in the aftermath of her death is very sad. It also just reminded me to stop and celebrate the music that she made, which was really important, which meant an extraordinary amount to a lot of people, including me and I think including you too, Glenn. Of course, of course, man. When I heard the news, uh, you were one of the people I wanted to hear from about this. So thank you for that, Stephen. I really appreciate that. If you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter, And that brings us to the end of our show. Laura Sirikul, Stephen Thompson, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathima and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy, and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. You can't fully understand the moment we're living in without knowing where we've been. On every episode of NPR's Throughline, we go back in time to where it started. Like, really started. To answer one important question, how did we get here? Find NPR's Line wherever you get your podcasts.